The Toby Gribbon Show. Highlights. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Nikki Smedley is an actor, dancer, choreographer, television director and producer best known for her role as Lala in the BBC children's show Teletubbies. And she's here with us now. How are you doing? Uh, oh, I'm doing very well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, of course you'd say that. <laughs> now, first of all, just so we're not wasting our time here with an imposter, can you just prove that you are actually Lala by doing her voice for us? Please, I have to say please and be very polite. <laughs> they tell you that we very polite people. Yeah, I think that pretty much <laughs> proves that you are her then. And I guess I'll say thank you now, as soon as I forgot to say please the first time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll start chronologically, I suppose. How did you first get into all the acting and dancing and creative stuff in the first place? Uh, I was just a natural born show off. Really, um, <laughs> right from the word go, you know, I, I kind of like, like many children, uh, or certainly little girls, I was sent to do ballet classes when I was three or four or something. And um, we did a performance around um, Sing a Song of Sixpence with the blackbirds baked in a pie. Yeah. And I remember our teacher saying, and I, and there'll be one very special blackbird. And I, I wonder who it will be. And I just put my hand up and kind of went, well, me, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, which is shameful, I know. But what do you know when you're three or four? You don't care, do you? Yeah. Um, and then we did the show and that was brilliant. And then we went back to doing normal ballet classes. And I was just like, well, why, what are we doing it for if we're not going to get on stage again? <laughs> so it was just I don't know where in my blood somewhere it came from, but that's that's what. And it was all I ever wanted to do was perform. Yeah. So what was the first role that you ever had, your first kind of job in this industry? Oh, um, I don't know. That's difficult to say, really, because I did, um, when I was still a child, I did a bit of photographic modelling and that kind of thing. And yeah. I was also a um, member of an amateur troupe called um, the Numeriques. So I was doing that already when I was kind of, you know, eight, eight or nine. And then I suppose um, professionally, again, it's hard to say because even when I was studying and I went to dance college initially and I was still kind of getting, you get odds and sods, little advertisements and so on and so forth that come in and that's, that's just sort of helping you pay your way. Yeah. And I always wanted, it wasn't, 
um, it wasn't just about performing for me, it was also about creating. So when I left dance college, um, and dance at the time, and back a thousand years ago, it was really kind of po-faced, you know, it was really serious and lots of people in brown leotards with pointy face, making very sharp faces in earnest. And it was like that. And to me, I just was always, you know, this amazing machine that we were given and what can it do? And a lot of it is quite funny. Yeah. And um so I wanted to create dance in the way that it made me feel, which was full of joy with a bit of humor and, and, and that kind of relationship with your fellow dancers. Um, so I started my own company when mm. I don't know how young I was then, like 18 or something. And wow. it just wanted to make originally work, original work. Yeah. So it was kind of all munged up together and yeah, I just, started doing everything I could do as soon as I could. <laughs> <laughs> you must be one of the youngest people ever to start up your own company because people do that when they're a lot older, I suppose, normally. Yeah, I was just kind of keen, you know, I just wanted yeah. to get going and, and make stuff and I had things <laughs> to express, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you first get the job on this television show that people might have heard of called Teletubbies? Yeah. Um, well, that was... I was coming to the end of my dance career and I knew I was, I was in my early thirties and it gets harder, you know, it's like um, sooner even than, than and other people. I mean, professional athletes must have to come across the same thing where you have to face up to the fact that you're just not as good as you used to be, you know, and it's, it's sort of unfair because you have more worldly wise and everything and more emotional intelligence but your body, well, mine certainly is kind of starting to pack in. Um, and also, to be brutally honest with you, I was really fed up of being dirt poor because yeah. I loved what I was doing dancing, but it didn't, yeah. you know, it was really difficult. I was on the dole for ages, it was, even though I was working, as you just couldn't yeah. make enough money to eat. So I kind of got fed up of that and I thought, well, I'm, I need something else. And I just sort of, put out my feelers and just was answering ads and looking in the trades and doing auditions and all of that kind of thing, just looking to see what the next thing might be. Yeah. And there was an advertisement in the stage which said something along the lines of um, artists with stamina required <laughs> for a new, <laughs> they weren't kidding either, um, for a new children's television program. And then there was this great couple of lines that were um, people with unusual backgrounds or personalities particularly welcome. Oh. I know, ooh, it is, <laughs> isn't it? You just think, hello, what do the, they want kind of quirky people. And I thought, well, I'm a kind of quirky person. Who puts that in, the, in their advertisement? You know, mm. the sort of person who might actually offer me a job. That's <laughs> um, So I applied. I can't remember what I wrote, but, you know, I wrote off an application and then, I was accepted for audition and I went and did the audition and I went and did more. And that was kind of October time. And while they whittled down these hundreds of people who'd applied to, to just a few. And I think, and around about Christmas, yeah, after having been auditioned, 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 as the numbers got fewer and fewer. And then they rang me up just before Christmas and told me that I, the job was mine if I wanted it. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> 
Was it quite fun to be in a colourful TV show and have a show that I suppose is not as serious as others to work on because it's for a child audience? Do you know what was the best thing about being Lala was that it it made me have to be all the best things about myself, yeah. you know, because I'm, and Anne, Anne Wood, who ran the company and created the show with Andy Davenport, you know, she was great and she really understood children and had a lot of integrity and love for the viewing child. So she never let us forget that there would be a small child looking at what we were doing and that that was who we should focus on. And so in order to engage that child, you had to show them lots of love and be funny and silly. And, yeah. and there was nothing scary in Tubby Land. So you were safe. So it was like all the really good things and none of your paranoia and anger and frustration, all those things about being a proper grown up human. <laughs> you put those on the shelf and just be the lovely stuff yeah. <laughs> for a living. So, you know. That's, yeah. That was a real joy. And knowing that what you were doing, if it worked properly, was making a little child laugh. Mm. And what better what better way to earn a living, really? No, it was a real treat. Exhausting, but a <laughs> oh, treat. Yeah. yeah, I take it it got pretty hot in those suits if you're in a long shoot, although maybe it's not as hot as it would be if you were filming outside of the UK. Well, hmm. <laughs> no, it was about as hot as, yeah. Hmm. I mean, so, <laughs> Pretty blinking hot. And even and then when we, we did go to other places during our, our kind of world tour, oh. Singapore was pretty sticky to be a tubby oh. in. But, but even so, I mean, that was kind of flat. You know, the thing about Tubbyland as well was it was hilly. So you had the heat and you're enclosed and boiling hot and then running up and down hills. It was really, I mean, I'd been a dancer, so I was used to hard physical work, but mm. yeah. Yeah, it's quite a thing. And I guess I take it a lot of it would have been filmed during the summer months because in the UK, any other months is not good to film outside. No, that's right. We filmed pretty much from when the clocks go forward to when the clocks go back. I mean, yeah. in the early days when we were still a little bit up against it and behind schedule, um, they'd extend a little bit. But that was basically when we filmed, because apart from anything else, the levels of light, you know, like through the winter, you just don't get the light levels that you're filming. But I'm really glad that we did it outside in real proper Mm. Telly Tubby Land, that our generation of tubs were were there for real. Yeah. And I suppose a lot of people probably don't realise that. They would just assume it's filmed on some sound stage somewhere. But yeah. no, it's a real place. I don't think it's there anymore, but it existed. Yeah. Well it still exists. I mean it's yeah. not been sucked into a weird black hole <laughs> or void or anything. But it just it's not yeah. Tubby Land anymore. But yes, yeah. it's just the same beautiful little bit of Warwickshire countryside that it was. Yeah, And it's such a globally recognised show as well. I never realised till recently because I had some American guests on who made a Teletubbies reference and I was like, oh, I didn't know you knew about that. And then I was on a foreign airline once and they had Teletubbies on the in-flight entertainment system. So it's so big around the world for such a show that I guess at the time you probably wouldn't have realised how big it was going to be. No, well, it was huge. I mean, it was huge in America. I think at one one point, um, I don't know whether it probably isn't still true, but at one point mm. we were the second most globally successful television show there had ever been. Wow. 
Yeah. <laughs> and the only one that was more successful to, uh, than us globally was Baywatch. Oh, but we are. I know. And we didn't even have to do it in our pants. <laughs> Although Teletubbies don't really wear clothes, do they? So Sometimes. Yeah, actually, but there was one episode where we wore... Um, it was about hanging washing on the line. And so they made us like yeah. ludicrous underpants. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, that actually, that was part of the joy when the scripts would come through that called for all these crazy props and costumes and things and how brilliant our design department were yeah. to make the things that, that made the whole thing such fun. Yeah. Because we spent all summer encased in fur and also because it was the first time I'd earned a really lovely wage. <laughs> was that I would go in the winter, I'd go and have a summer holiday in the Southern Hemisphere. Mm. And I was in Western Samoa, like a tiny little island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, right on the other side of the planet. And a woman walked into the shop with a a la-la rucksack on. (laughs) And I thought, look at that, we're blinking everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) In situations like that, do you ever think, should I go up and tell them that I am Lala or are you a bit more humble maybe? Yes, you have to, well, I like to enjoy it in secret. But the the only thing that I would, um, because it doesn't make any sense as well, you know, like sometimes parents would say to their children, look, this is Lala. Then the child would look and go, this is just a woman. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't make any sense to them at all. Um, But also, uh, oh, what was I going to say then? Oh, I had another funny point to make and then I distracted myself with the <laughs> mum thing. It's like that <laughs> when it was really at the height of Teletubby mania and you know, I mean, the toys were so hard to get hold of and oh, stuff yeah. like that. And I remember once or twice I'd be like behind a child in Toys R Us or Toys R Me, as I liked to call it at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the child would be there with a kind of poe in one hand and a lala in the other hand looking and I'd leave in a room when mummy wasn't looking go have lala she's the one you love best have lala <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes other than that yeah. and I guess it's kind of cool to have the anonymity of being a global superstar but not getting mobbed on the street at the same time Absolutely. I mean, so many people would say, oh, isn't it a shame that no one knows who you are? Yeah. No. Have you seen? I mean, when the press went mad and they were like following us around and going through our rubbish and that, I've oh. never, I know. And we're just <laughs> stupid puppets. Yeah. It was so terrifying. I just, I couldn't, I, why anybody wants to be kind of tabloidy famous, I, mm. I have no idea. No, I want to show up at work, do my job. Like I say, my main focus was just be lovely for the child, be the child watching, be their friend and and that, make them laugh. That's my main focus. I don't care about anything. And then on a Friday, I want to go back to my hometown and go to the pub and have a drink and dance to some scar and get on with my life you know yeah. like a normal person yeah definitely I think that's the best way so did you control the mouth as well or was that done robotically perhaps by somebody else no we had complete control so oh, wow. um mouth was right ha- I'm right-handed so it yeah. was simpler to have the mouth so rubber and then left hand just eyes blinking all the time so every time you yeah. remember to do this so a little bit this yeah. <laughs> <laughs> blinking the whole time was but and it, it became so um automatic I remember <laughs> in about the fifth year I'd fallen I wasn't in Tubbyland I was at home mm. must have been the weekend and I'd fallen asleep on the couch 
And I woke up and I was talking in my sleep, but I was also puppeteering <laughs> my own mouth with my hand as I was talking in my sleep. I just think, oh my goodness, this is <laughs> puppeteer insanity. Yeah. And did they record your voice live on the set as you were doing all the actions and reading the lines? Or did you have to kind of do that in a studio later if perhaps it's not good quality picking it up live? Well, both of those things. And there was a, it was a difficult one, you know, to sort mm. out exactly how that was going to be. They tried they tried recording everything we did and then having us go over it at the end of the day. But, you know, by yeah. then we were all just knackered because we worked 11 hours a day, you know, yeah. and not just us, but everybody else. So the sound people would all be like, oh, no, we've got to go and do the voiceover. Yeah. But um, because what we said inside the, inside the head, you know, you also had the good because they weren't silent. So you had the good dunk, good dunk, good dunk sound of the, the eyeballs and your mouth going and then us going <laughs> and make it stop <laughs> at the same time so but we would record everything and then we'd go down to Pinewood Studios and have a day where we voice over they'd play us back the episode with that with the the thing that had been taken at the time and then we'd revoice it nice and clean in a proper acoustic environment so that it was clear and clean but what always amazed us was in that process was how absolutely razor sharp our memory of doing it was so I mean at first they used to print out scripts for us but we didn't need them because we could absolutely remember what it was and what we did and and also because you know it's not like um you know pre-Teletubbies I did a few jobs where I was lip syncing to a human. And, and that's mm. a different thing because the human mouth is much more articulate, whereas the tubby yeah. mouth is just this. Yeah. So although we were careful puppeteers and, you know, it was a, a point of honour that our lip syncing and mouth movement was good, it's not like you had to be as accurate as you would do it with a real face. Yeah. And I was going to say, before you mentioned all the panting and background noise that you don't really want, that perhaps recording a voice inside a Teletubby head would be quite good acoustic treatment and sort of soundproofing, but I guess that's not the case if you're panicking all the time. Yeah. And then every time you fall over it, bang! (laughs) We did a lot of falling over. Yeah. That's the thing. Can you really see properly in those suits? No, I was worried when I first got the job. I thought, well, will I be able to wear my glasses inside the head? No, there's a steam up. How will I be able to see properly? And then when you actually get inside it and you're looking through the mouth, which is like this far away from your eyes and, and this big, and then over the top of that is the metal that works the eyes and mouth. And then because that is metal and shiny, then over the top of that is a black gauze so that that doesn't reflect back to the cameras. So, yeah. no, I just thought it doesn't really matter whether I wear my glasses or not, because I can see naffle as it is. And it would take a couple of days, like every new season when you came back, it would take a couple of days to kind of get your tubby eye in, mm. to be able to, <laughs> to see through this kind of not being able to see thing and just know. I mean, basically, mm. you kind of go, yeah, don't hit any of the, the purple thing, the green thing and the red thing and yeah. try not to stand on the rabbits yeah. and find the lens for the camera. So we had like great big boards, a great big fluorescent orange one for camera one and a big 
fluorescent yellow one for camera two so we to help us find where the camera was because that's the difficult that's the most important thing because you want to be talking to the child you can't be slightly off (laughs) you've got to be bang down the lens so yeah i guess that's even harder than normal puppetry because in television puppetry normally you have a monitor so you can see exactly if you are doing it right whereas if you're struggling to even see through your own eyes and having to look (laughs) at the camera you don't really know how good it is yeah i mean they did uh, they did try a monitor system with us. Nunu mm. used a monitor system. Yeah. Um, and the uh, Tots TV, who were Ragdoll's pro- main. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today program before us they used monitors and they tried it with us but it's like there's already so much stuff in our heads and it's already, it's already like this huge pressure on your neck and we really don't want any more weight in there <laughs> and also and because we were wanging around and velcro it would fall in your face and and all the falling over it just wasn't practical for us to have a monitor so yeah we just yeah. learned to do it pretty much blind (laughs) (laughs) and with every successful kids tv show a single seems to be released at some point and that was of course teletubbies say it oh which was kind of a remix of the theme tune with bits added in were you surprised that that managed to get to number one i don't know that i was really Hmm. no i don't think i was that surprised i've got a double platinum disc on the wall in the lounge oh wow um I know, and I, I've been a singer as well, desperately trying to get to number one and then yeah. dress up in a stupid fursuit and ta da! <laughs> yeah. The world has funny ways of making your dreams come true sometimes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I don't think I was that surprised. Anne wasn't that keen for them to release it because she wanted it to kind of stay in the child realm and didn't want it to get mm. too usurped by that kind of, you know, the adult irony end of things. Yeah. But um, no, I don't. Th- I th- don't think it was a surprise, really. Yeah. I'll tell you what was really funny is I went home <laughs> one weekend, and it was we'd shot late. It must have been the second year when we were behind because we were still shooting in November. Yeah. And I went back and went into my local pub, and there and there was a karaoke evening, and there's like a hundred drunk people on the stage all singing. <laughs> Say it. <laughs> 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 Whoa! <laughs> a bit small. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was number one about the week before Christmas or something. The Spice Girls yeah. knocked us off. Yeah, outrageous. Yeah. Who's Curse ever heard them. of the Spice Girls? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, and of course they had like three in a row, so you could have yeah. ruined their record. Well, we we ruined Robbie Williams's record thing because ah. we we were, we stopped Angels getting to number one. Ah. Was Rob? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess you know pop music had its revenge by the Spice Girls to become one, knocking us off. There we are. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of the time, people talk about the son from Teletubbies, the baby, and finding her quite creepy for some reason and it shows how long it's been since Teletubbies has started that that baby now has now a, a child of her own yeah 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 I saw that yeah Jess she was the sound I think she was the sound man's or the the sound editor oh it was his daughter fabulous baby hey and I did yeah. see the pictures of her new baby equally as gorgeous as she mm. but yes but you're right that people did find it creepy but the grown-up people found it creepy, but uh, children really love to see themselves reflected back. And I think yeah. um, I think the makers of the program were aware that although we were aiming out the major content at sort of ages three and four, that there would also be younger children watching. And so she was like a real point of reference. I mean, children love yeah. seeing their own faces reflected back and seeing each other on television and other screens. So I think it was quite quite a wise move. And also it just sort of sent the signal that the child was our God, you know, <laughs> the child was the thing that we were yeah. most, that, that ruled over Teletubby land, really. Oh, yeah. I think there is a conspiracy theory about that, that she is the God or something, <laughs> which, is over, which makes sense. Well, it's just that, you know, it's it, she's symbolic of the fact that, that children are the most important thing. Yeah. And I'm of an age where I'm actually not sure what the answer to this question is. But, you know, sometimes if you draw a picture of the sun and put a smiley face on it, did that originate from Teletubbies or is that predated that? <laughs> I don't know. Mm. I don't know the answer to that myself either. Yeah. I think before, I think I think mm. probably from ancient times, I think people have had faces in the sun. I'm sure yeah. there's, there's represent, representations of the sun with faces from, from way, way, way back. And I think probably Teletubbies drew on that ancient iconography and yeah. ad- adopted it for the child audience. Yeah, and I think it's probably strengthened the idea of drawing a face in the sun <laughs> somehow, because I think from my memory, whenever I did it, I always thought of Teletubbies when I did it. Yeah, you see, I think, I think that's kind of the way round. It's like, I think yeah. it's always been there, but now yeah. if you do it, there will be a little reminder yeah. that, that 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 it was a Teletubby thing too. Yeah. And I guess people have always worshipped the sun and stuff, so they see it as a person maybe. Yeah. I wish it would show up now, frankly. Don't yeah. know where you are, but it's been mm. raining on me all day long. So <laughs> So what did you work on after Teletubbies was finished? Okay. So from working with Anne and Andy, I became really fascinated in making work for children and and Mm. how how that actually also reflected with making work for grown-ups but I wanted to keep working and also because I thought a lot of the people working at Ragtoll were just incredible incredibly knowledgeable people full of integrity and creative genius yeah so um I wanted to stay working for them and Anne said she would like to have me so I then worked on a show called Boobar, 
mm-hmm. which is a very movement-based show. So um, that was great because I kind of got to revisit my dancing chops, but also with what I'd learned about making stuff for children. Um, and then thereafter, I would I did the choreography for In the Night Garden. I worked on a few other bits and pieces for Ragdoll um, for probably the same kind of amount of time as I worked on Teletubbies. It was a long time hmm. I continued working for them. Um, and then I'd kind of got myself into a situation where I was directing children a lot, like working with children for the screen. And I... I stopped enjoying that really because I really liked working with children, but I found my whole time I was kind of coercing them into doing what I wanted and I didn't want to do that anymore. I wanted to actually just kind of go and hang out with them. So I retrained. um, I did some education work. I got a bit of an MA in creative education and I went and worked in schools um, and learned more about how child brain works and how learning happens and, child communication and that kind of thing. And I started making theatre shows again, kind of went back to my theatre roots. And I also trained as a Pilates teacher, so I did that. And I started writing, and I started writing material for children, and I started having my own storytelling show, and I still work, or at least before COVID, I was still working as a a children's storyteller, so I still do that with my own material. Um, And I'm still writing, and... It just might be that in the next couple of years, my memoir of, oh, yeah, (laughs) Um, which actually has just been picked up by a Scottish publisher. So hooray. Um, So that should be out in the next in the next couple of years. That's called Over the Hills and Far Away. So Uh. still, you know, even though I've done lots of other and different and varied and other things. Teletubbies is still very much there, you know, mm. even in little ways, you know, even in the fact that my nieces and nephews call me Auntie La. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just went and had lunch with mm. some friends. And um, yes, and then we just went at the tab, the tab is Nikki La La. I can't get away from it. And I don't mm. really have any particular desire to. I'm very proud of having done it. Yeah. And how has the pandemic affected your work overall? Because of all industries, the creative and arts has been affected quite a lot by the pandemic. So have you found it pretty hard? Well, yes, because I uh, I had a one-woman theatre show, Nikipedia, Mm. was due to be... um, The premiere was 28th and 29th of April, I think, um, last year. So I was in full about to do a new show mode and then of course poof, that didn't happen still hopefully will happen at some point down chasing it like a fiver down the dusty street maybe next, maybe in the maybe in the spring um and then yeah and everything else and and also because I do quite a lot of um I do some teacher training and conference speaking and that kind of thing about child communication and a lot of that is in Europe so all of that stopped as well. Yeah. Yeah. Everything stopped. I stopped earning money like that. Mm. But on the on the plus side, I don't know whether the aforementioned memoir would have got written if I hadn't have been. Oh yeah. Here you are now. Just spend some time on your own in <laughs> <laughs> miles from anywhere. Uh, so you know you have to. Yeah. I've tried not to go too insane, but yeah, very difficult. And of course, I feel grateful that 
I at least had a little bit of money in the bank for some savings yeah. that I could draw on to live on. And, you know, other people didn't have that. So mm. it could have been a lot worse. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And there's been a lot of people that have kind of fallen through the gaps here and have been forgotten about in terms of financial support. So yeah. it's yeah. great to have something that you can live on. Yes, exactly. And, mm. you know, when you're on your own and you're not going anywhere, you can live quite frugally. I've eaten a lot of lentils. It's a bit random, but you know. <laughs> but it's so cheap. <laughs> um, yeah, so that yeah, just kind of kind of trying to keep it tidy and, yeah. and live, yeah, live frugally when there's not much money coming in and yeah, and wait for it all to sort of start up again. I mean, and and there are things starting up, but mm. but in a different way, it's, yeah. and it's all because. People, people are uncertain and there's not enough people doing things. I mean, I've had so many kind of, would you like to do this? And I say, yes. And they go, great. Yeah. And I don't hear anything else. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> oh, yeah. sort of, oh, what happened to that thing that I got asked to do? And then yeah. I don't, I don't know quite. That seems to be the new trend. Mm. I don't know whether people have good ideas and then find out they don't have any money or if there's not enough people to do it or if they're still getting around to it, but everything is so incredibly slow. That yeah. Who knows? And mm. Are you one of these people that said they were going to write a book in lockdown and has actually been true to their word? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's me. I don't muck yeah. about it. If I say I'm going to do it, I do it. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people have just said, I'm going to write a book and learn seven languages and I'm going to make a film in lockdown. But then they actually just ate loads of pizza and watched Netflix, which is probably a lot more fun maybe sometimes, but people can do what they want. Yeah, well, uh, I didn't eat a lot of pizza because I didn't, mm. where I was locked down, I didn't have a proper oven. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> I ate a lot of lentils. Um, I suppose... Yeah, I drank a fair amount of wine. I did a lot of walking. Yeah. I wrote a book. Yeah. That was very good. I kept very I kept up my fitness, super fit. Mm. Um so yeah, it could have been a lot worse all round, really. Don't have Netflix. Read a lot of books. Read Ooh. really a lot of books, and that's great for a writer to have yeah. time to do a lot of reading was fantastic. So, yes, there were things to be grateful for, but always just, you know, I think for me, the thing that I'm going to find hardest to shrug off is the feeling that you can't have the awful cloud of death, yeah. you know, and just feeling like, oh, let's go out and have some fun. That doesn't feel very easy for me because it's mm. just such a massive human tragedy and I find it very difficult to get through that. Yeah. to you know let's all go and have a party really while all the still all those people are dying i find that quite difficult to cope with so i think mm. my I, I you know usually i can have fun on the tiny piece of blue tack but i find that that has that's kind of lost me i've lost that a little bit yeah absolutely i guess a lot of people are feeling like that and also yeah. some people feel scared to admit that they've actually quite enjoyed not having anything to do <laughs> Well, I think I think for me it was the relief of pressure. Yeah. You know, like the pressure that you must do this, you must do this, you must do this. Whether from other people or whether from yourself, you know, you've got to do this and you've got to achieve and you've got to keep going, you've got to do 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 do. That it was quite nice just to take the foot off that a little bit. And yes, still write a book, but 
But yes, just for not to have that, the expectation, I think, yeah. that to lower your expectations about what, what life is and can be and that it is kind of nice to just, yeah, take a step back. Yeah. Now, in the last few years or so, there's been a kind of reboot of Teletubbies. Were you ever asked to reprise your role as Lala or were you not really interested in coming back after all the years? Well... Uh, apart from my poor old knees might not have stood up for it. Um, well, I very fortunately, I was very much involved with the reboot yeah. of the new Teletubbies. Um, when uh, Daryl McQueen, who was a production company that have produced the, the reboot, they got in touch with me quite early on. Um, I think they got their name from our series producer, Sue James. And she said, yes, you need to get Nikki Smedley. She knows everything about Teletubbies. And so I, yeah, I went and I worked a little bit with the writer and the director and just sort of about the, the theory and the philosophy of Tubbies and a really nice. And I was there for the casting, uh, for the auditions of the new crew. And what was really lovely was that um, Rebecca and Nick, who play Lala and Dipsy in the rebooted version, they, I'd worked with them before because they were um, Iggle Piggle and Upsy Daisy. Uh-huh. In, in the night garden. So I'd already trained them up once <laughs> for that when I worked on that. So it was kind of nice. And, and because it was, it was such an odd and weirdly emotional thing. Like the first time I saw Rebecca getting into my la la and realizing, cause I, you know, I'd always had this, I am the la, you know, and yeah. you just take it for granted. Anytime you saw an image of la la, that was me. Hmm. And then that shifted and that was a really, I didn't expect to feel that emotional about it. Yeah. But I really did. You know, I was really like, oh my God, I'm going to cry because yeah. I'm, I'm saying goodbye to something. It was like passing on a child. It was really weird. Yeah. And then you think, well, that was six years of life sort of being that thing. So, mm. and, but, but my point was, I couldn't have asked for anybody better to yeah. hand Malar over to than yeah. Rebecca. I mean, not to say anything. You know, it would be disparaging towards um, Jeremiah and Rochelle, who were Tinky Winky and Poe, but I just didn't have the, you know, the history with them. So then I went and worked with them right at the beginning on their perform of the new Tubbies, you know, with their performances, and did a lot of the choreography for that show. And yeah, until until they took their stabilizers off, and then I wasn't needed anymore. <laughs> yeah, and I take it the sadness isn't really a feeling of bitterness or anything. It's just sort of a child leaving home kind of feeling. Yeah, it was. Yeah, like a kind of nostalgia and loss and mm. pride, all sort of mixed up in one. And and then I suppose aging. Yeah. also bundled up in there as well um that kind of yeah just when the passing of time and the next generation that sort of yeah that whole thing and i suppose it's good that teletubbies is being introduced to a new generation even though sure. i think there's probably been repeats but i guess there will be new messages and morals that are relevant to the 2021 age <laughs> yeah maybe um <laughs> <laughs> maybe and then there's also some you know some things about children that don't change mm. just the same yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for sure well if we're interested in keeping up with you do you have any social media or a website where we can find you yeah i do um probably the best one be on facebook i have a page called nikipedia um, which is at Wikipedia 111. Uh, that is a good way of keeping up to date with me and will hopefully tell you when my show is out. 
Um, and I've fallen out with Twitter. I don't really do that anymore. And, um, on the educational child communication side, I have a website called how to speak child. Um, and that has a monthly blog on it. Um, Hmm. it's been going for a long time. So there's a lot of material on that. Um, and then there's also my uh, the storyteller.me.uk, Nikki Smedley, the storyteller, which was, yeah. uh, gives you lots of information about my storytelling. Um, yeah. And yeah. keep your eyes open for the Over the Hills and Far Away memoir. Oh, yeah. Out. yeah. Looking forward to that. That sounds very exciting. Is it time for Tubby Bye Bye? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it is. Well... <laughs> Thanks very much for coming on the show today. It's very nice of you to take the time to talk all about Teletubbies. I like your Muppet picture behind you, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I like your assortment of ornaments there. As yet unbroken. (laughs) (laughs) ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com The throbbing pulse of sound The Toby Gribbon Show